We are so glad you're with us, and we are, we are worshiping with you. Hopefully that was a blessing to you like it was for us. We are honored to be able to spend time together this morning. We're going to continue this morning in a new uh, series that is leading us into Easter called Culture War. And we've been talking about that for a few weeks now. And the idea is not a culture war as if there's a war out there, but rather there's a war in here. Maybe more specifically for Christians, there's a war in here about how we fight or engage the culture here. Often we think about how people treat us, oh, how Christians are treated out in the world, right? But the question I have of the church is, how, are, how is the world treated in here? Or how do we treat each other in here? What does it look like? And let me ask you this. Do we believe it's spiritual warfare? See, the funny thing is, someone said last week, they said, I think I went to uh, 10 worship services on Facebook <laughs> during Sunday service, right, during Sunday morning. And so there's tons of churches right now preaching the gospel. Praise God for the opportunity to proclaim the gospel, right? But the question is, how do we do that in real life? Like, not not churches and not those certain people, pastors or missionaries, but us, the rest of us. How do we proclaim good news to the world? How do we engage in what God is doing all over the world? I was going to share a reading from Isaiah 54 this morning because it struck me and it reminded me of uh, Dale Compton, how he loves to read scriptures as we get started. But it says that no weapon forged against us shall prevail. Why? Because the Lord is in control of all these things. Now, that's a conviction that, that, that God's people have had from the beginning, that he's in control and that we share that conviction with them. Well, the series we've been looking at has been a very practical, and that's the hope, is that these are actual practical tools of how we actually can do this stuff together, right? So it's not just like a, a theory in our head. It's not just a feeling in our heart, but it's a, a movement in our lives. We can actually be part of what God is doing in the world because the truth is that God, if, if you know um, God and he has equipped you, I shouldn't say if he because he has equipped you. If you know God, he's equipped you. The question is, how are you and I participating in uh, his engagement with the world. We've, this is our final week in the series, by the way, and then we're going to proceed into our Easter series next week. Um, but we've talked about uh, four things so far. The first was to be invitational. Invite people into your lives. Invite people to pray for you. Invite people to um, see how you live. Invite people to your dinner table or, or to your small group Bible study or to church, for sure, worship, right? But invite people in. Let people see the real you, how it really is. Invite people to get to know Jesus for themselves. And we talked about how in the scriptures, everyone, it's the same Jesus, but people get to meet him in different ways. And so maybe your friend's gonna meet Jesus in a way that you haven't. But what an awesome thing that our friends can meet Jesus. The second week we talked about being welcoming. That's creating a space where people are pleased to, to come to, right? That they feel appreciated and they show up. It's a huge act of courage to show up. And so we want people to feel comfortable. We talked about where we've seen that modeled in our lives, right? Who does that really well? And how can we be more like them in how we welcome others? And, and of course, Jesus was the perfect example of how we can welcome others in our lives. In week three, we talked about being encouraging, right? And that's just like giving people uh, encouragement as they face their own battles. And then last week, we talked about the idea of being empathetic, that, that, that thing that we get in our guts that makes us sick, right? Some of you wrote back and said, splank. That's exactly right. Splank. It's that ugh, nausea because it's not right. There's so much in the world that the church can participate in saying, that's not right. It's not right. And God stands with people when we recognize that and when we seek to help people in those situations. And so now we're going to finish in the, fourth, in the fifth week of the series called Be Present. 
And the irony of this is not lost on me, that this whole thing, if you lean at Easter, was about showing up in people's lives. Like, that was my conviction from the beginning with this. Is like, God, incarnational ministry. We're supposed to show up and get our hands there. We're supposed to be in people's presence and be in their lives, right? And then, I, who could have guessed, five weeks ago, we've been the second week of self-quarantine, of literally being told that we can't be in one another's lives. And then some people being told they have to be in one another's lives and find some safe way to do that. Some social distance, right? Some protective bubble that cannot be infringed on. Here's my question this morning as we get started. Would you show up somewhere if you knew it might cost you your life? Like if, if there was something going on and, and you knew you were needed, but you knew it might cost your life, would you show up anyway? That's the fundamental question of the morning. It's the fundamental question in some ways of our lives, of, of, of God-given opportunities for, for courage, but more importantly, a God-given example. We're going to work out of the Gospel of John this morning, and so if, mostly in the Gospel of John. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open up the, to John 1, and we're going to read a few verses. We're going to skip a couple verses in here, but not because we're trying to avoid anything. We're just trying to read for clarity. So we're going to read 1 through 5, and then we're going to read uh, 9 through 14. So hear the word with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Now, verse 9. The true light that gives light to, to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or nor a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm going to ask you to do what we always do at Family Bible Church. I'm going to ask you to join me in praying that we would understand his word, that he would give us wisdom to know it and to believe it and to be changed by him because of our understanding. So pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning and a chance to worship you and to sing your praises together, to um, be joined together house to house, family to family, person to person, uh, even while we're apart. Lord, your Holy Spirit is knitting together your church all over the world, and we give you thanks and praise for that. We thank you for the truth of Scripture, and we pray this morning we would understand it. We pray, Father, that you would be our teacher, that your Holy Spirit would meet us where we are and teach us what we need to know about who you are and who we are. Father, you have to do this work because we cannot do it. I pray, Lord, against any kind of man-made wisdom or philosophies of the world. I pray for your Holy Spirit's teaching and your divine intervention that we might be changed because we've met you this morning, that we might be transformed because you've encountered us as the very one who created us. We love you so much. We thank you for a chance to uh, learn from you. Now we set at your feet. Give us minds that are open to your truth, hearts that would believe it, and a life that we would live it out. May you be glorified as you continue to do your work amongst your people. And the church says, amen. All right, so we're gonna, we're gonna kind of jump in and talk about then this idea of being present, right? And how can we be present? 
And uh, the first, and for the blast kids, this is your, your superhero landing idea, right? The first says you have to show up. You have to show up, right? And we're going to look at John chapter 11 to read about showing up. So John 11, uh, 1 through 7. We talked about this for a few weeks now, different parts of this story, but I think it's really interesting the way Jesus chooses to interact in this moment with his friend Lazarus. So read it with me in John 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, this is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Then he said to the disciples, let us now go back to Judea. I, you know, I think this is an interesting story. You, you know the story, right? This is whenever Jesus weeps with, with Mary and Martha. This is when he shows up and he sees people grieving and he's, he's blank and he's moved in his guts about it, right? We talk about the story for three weeks, but isn't it remarkable at the beginning of the story that Jesus stays where he is? He says some profound, prompt, profound things about the death of Lazarus, which, which all we know here is that the one that you love is sick. The, the one that you care for is, it could be dying. Quick, quick, we need you to come now. Hurry. And in this moment, and it's just mind-bogglingly counterintuitive that Jesus doesn't just drop everything and run to Lazarus, run to Mary, run to Martha, but instead he makes some proclamations. And I want us to hear this this morning because we're going to talk about why we would show up and how we can trust in showing up God's sovereignty, right? So what does he say? He says this. This is in verse 4. This sickness will not end in death. That's the first thing he answers when he hears that his, his friend, the one that he loves, is sick. It will not end in death. Secondly, he says something very similar to what we hear about the man born blind, right? Remember John 6, 1 through 3? He says, this was done that the God might be glorified in his life. This is the same thing he says about Lazarus. No, this is so that God's glory and, wait, wait. No, it is for God's glory and also that the son may be glorified through it. So it's gonna, his arrival on the scene is gonna bring glory to God and glory to himself for showing up, that he may be glorified as God's only son and that God himself may be glorified when he shows up. Look at verse five. Lest you think he's just being like kind of lazy or apathetic about Lazarus, it says he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them greatly, but he waited for his moment to arrive. He waited until that moment that he could show up on the scene and make a huge impact for God's kingdom. I'm just stunned by the reality of how he waits to show up. And then when the time is right, he says, now let's go. Let's go. See, the first thing that we can learn from Jesus is that there is a time for things, right? And that we can trust, you and I can trust in our real lives that there are moments where we, can, we need to show up. And, and showing up can be scary, I mean, can you imagine if someone said, oh, my friend's sick, you gotta hurry, come pray, come pray. You know, there's that sense, you gotta be there right now. But the truth is that in God's perfect time, in his perfect way, we can glorify him by trusting him and showing up in the right moment. What's that mean? How, how do you show up like Jesus did, right? It means you're waiting for God's 
leading on it, right? Not not to say you're being apathetic, but you're waiting for that moment. You have some internal confidence. We're going to talk more about this in our, uh, you know, um, the tools we have or the powers that we have, but we want to know what God is really doing and not just doing it automatically, right? We show up whenever God calls us to show up. We are called to be present. As a matter of fact, one of the things I think about showing up, there's this Old Testament story about a guy named Job. And I think Job is a really interesting guy because um, he has a terrible story, a whole book dedicated to him in the Old Testament about a life that seems afflicted by God, right? As a matter of fact, the, the story starts, he's doing super good. Life is great. And then all of a sudden, everything goes wrong at once. A whole bunch of bad stuff happens, which I don't want to get into. But then in the middle of the story, three friends show up. And, and what's wild about the friends showing up is that's what they do right, is they show up. But then when they get there, they don't seem very discerning about what God is actually doing. And so they begin to do things and say things that aren't helpful to Job. They they begin to be um, bad friends. Like they showed up, right? But they weren't, it wasn't a great experience. And I want to read with you, lest you think I'm just being hard on Job's friends, I want to read with you, you don't have to turn there, the very end of the story, this is in um, Job chapter 42, 42, the very last chapter of the book of Job, verse seven, this is what it says. After the Lord, Yahweh, had said these things to Job, that was when he rebuked Job for kind of challenging him on being God, right? Fair enough. After he said these things to Job, he said to Elphaz, the Terminite, I am angry with the Temanite, I'm sorry. I am angry with you and your two friends. Why? Because you have not spoken of me what is right, like my servant Job has. And he says, so now make seven bulls and seven rams and go and offer the sacrifice in front of your servant Job as a burnt offering for yourselves. Why? Because they've sinned in the way they showed up. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your own foolishness. You have not spoken with me what is right as my servant Job has, he says. And then the word says they go and they make the sacrifice and Job prays for his friends and they're forgiven for this transgression. But what they did right was they showed up. So like we can be, you know, those guys like, what? Like, but they, they, they were there with their friend. As a matter of fact, I think had his friends showed up and stopped there, God would have had no problem with that. Like, good job, friends. But it's when they get there and there's that awkward moment, they get into trouble. And we want to turn with that now. So, so that's your showing up on the scene idea, right? And now here's the second thing when you show up. You got to shut up. Now, I know some of you don't like that terminology, shut up. I actually looked it up. The etymology is not bad on it. It's not, a, it's not a, a bad word. I know some of you, maybe some of you parents rather say, be quiet, be quiet, right? But the same idea, hold your tongue. Um, as a matter of fact, the book of Proverbs says this, in the multiplication of words, there's no lack of sin, but he who restrains his lips is found wise. I want to read it for you again. In the multiplication of words, there's no lack of sin, but he who restrains his lips is wise. That's Proverbs, Proverbs 10, 19. Let me tell you something about that verse. I read that and I, I get nervous because <laughs> I'm a talker. <laughs> and it's like in the multiplication of words, there's a lack of sin. I'm like, oh my gosh, how many times have I gotten in sin because I won't stop talking? But it's wisdom from the book of Proverbs to us. You maybe have heard this um, saying before. It is better to be silent and thought to be a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt right? That's like a snarky way of saying it. Just keep your mouth closed. It'll be fine. No, nobody needs to hear what you have to say, right? Um, and and uh, that's one of those kind of uh, proverbs, not from the Bible, it's just, a, but it's close. As a matter of fact, there is a proverb like it, um, 1728. Proverbs 1728 reads like this. Even fools are thought to be wise if they keep silent. 
and discerning if they hold their tongues. Did you hear what that says? That even fools are thought to be wise if they keep silent and discerning. That means sensing what God is doing when they hold their tongue. I just want to give this as an encouragement to you, church, that so many times I've heard this said, I would go, but I don't know what to say. What do I say to that person who's struggling? What do I say to that? What am I going to do when I get there? My first encouragement is show up. Overcome the fear and just show up. And then when you get there, resist the urge to say or do anything right away. There's wisdom in showing up and discerning what God is doing in the situation. So we have the opportunity to do that, to show up and to keep our silence discerning what God is doing as we hold our tongues. You want to turn to the book of James. It's toward the back of the Bible, um, James chapter 1. And we're going to do a little bit here from James together. James 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And this is what the word says. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not hold a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their what? Distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world, right? And this comes on the heels of being told like what's gonna bless you if you do them as a follower of Jesus. But he lays out there and he says, if you consider yourself religious but you don't really control your tongue, you deceive yourself. And the things that you think you're doing that are pleasing to God aren't pleasing to God. So we're called to go and to keep our silence, to be wise. And it says, look at what it says, looking after orphans and widows in their distress, right? Caring for those who are feeling abandoned and caring for those who have no advocate in the world. God's pleased by that. So yeah, show up, but control our tongues when we do. Opportunity of wisdom we're given from the book of James. So, so then we have show up, shut up, or be quiet, right? <laughs> and then we have um, listen. Now, that might seem obvious that you're going to listen, but not everyone will. Sometimes when you show up and you be quiet, you find yourself having an internal dialogue and not really listening to, at all. And this is going to get into our uh, superhero powers, right? And it's going to go like this. If you're drawing on your sheets at home, Blast Kids, it's going to be listening and watching, right? Because you know you can listen with your eyes, don't you? Like, you know you can show up and you can be listening but watching. What's really going on here? Now, why is this a superpower? Why is this a superpower? Because it requires discernment of what God is doing. The church should be the last people showing up on the scene and panicked like everybody else. Have you ever noticed whenever um, someone who's, who's uh, trained and ready for a moment shows up on the scene, they're not panicked and freaked out, right? The professionals, those who are ready for this moment, they walk around with calm. They, they're, they're discerning what's going on. We, we panic sometimes, but not people who are showing up to do a good work. No, they know this is the situation they've been training for. And so they listen and they watch. Uh, read with me, if you would, in James again, if you're in James, James chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits in all he created. Verse 19. My dear brothers, Take note of this. Every person should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil is so prevalent and humbly accept the word of God planted in you, which can save you. 
I want to unpack that for a minute. I want to read a little. The key verse is 19, but I'm going to read a little before it. It says, don't be deceived. Every good gift has come from the Father above. We've been given every good gift in Jesus Christ. This is why I want you to show up with some confidence, not in who you are, but in who is, is calling you into the field. That's why we want to discern when God calls us to show up. If God's saying go, we go. Not because we're able, we're confident what we're going to do, but because we know that when we get there and we show up, God's going to show up and do what only he can do. He says, don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. Every good gift comes from the Father above, right? And so he lays it out for us. He chose to give us birth, in verse 18, through the word of truth that he might make us a kind of first fruits for all he created. So we are kingdom-forward people. We are bringing good news of hope into bad situations. We're uniquely equipped, given indeed superpowers, to show up and deliver some grace, some mercy, some hope from God. Now, let me say something about that real quick. Sometimes, we talk about this as a church family. If you believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, he wants to use you in that same way. There's been a bunch of times where people have been like, oh, pastor, we're so glad you're here. Finally, we can, we can pray together. Or finally, we can do, do this thing. We want, to, we want to wait for you to get here. And I appreciate that, but the truth is, we're the church. <laughs> he sent us. And if you're already there, brothers and sisters, know that he's given you every good gift. He's made you heirs and co-heirs with Christ to bring his gospel into hard situations. So I would encourage you to show up in the boldness of Christ, knowing that you can be used by him, that he will use faithful believers. So then verse 19, so with that in mind, everyone should be quick to listen when you get on the scene, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, which that's kind of a strange thing to become angry, right? We've talked about that out of context in a way, this verse before, but interesting that it's actually in the context of being children of God, that we should be discerning, right? Listening and watching what's going on around us, using the powers that only God can give us to truly understand what is at play, what is happening here. So we show up, we shut up, and we listen, or we observe. We use these powers. Because man's anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. Now check this out. He desires righteousness from us. But look at what he says then. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word plan in you. I want to divide that real quick into two different thoughts. The first is to get rid of all moral filth and evil that's so prevalent amongst you, like that we have a tendency to want to do things that aren't necessarily of God when we get there. There's a, a modus operandi, a regular habit, a thing that we think, well, I'll just do this because it always works, whether or not God's calling us to do it. And he calls that moral filth and evil. I, I mean, if you look at the way that this paragraph is constructed, because I know you could take that and go, well, no, he means get rid of other moral filth. Well, maybe, right? But also in that moment, not listening, speaking too quickly, and becoming angry over things that we shouldn't be angry about, without any discernment, is moral filth and evil. But instead, look at the second half. Humbly accept the word of God implanted in you and in me. That means that not only has he called you to this moment, not only has he called you to show up and listen and watch, but he's given you his word that you could, it's implanted in you, right? Which can save you, which can give us confidence in our faith. I think there are holy moments, church, where we're called to go when we're afraid to go. And, you know, and then there's a question, why me? Why, would he, why, why me? We're going to talk about that in a moment as well. But here's the truth, that we can go with the boldness that God has planted a word in us that can save us, superhuman strength and ability, if we would only show up, be quiet, and listen for what God is doing. 
Now here's another one. And this is one of those funny ones because I'm really thinking practically, right? So these are all things. And by the way, I'm not telling you something I haven't done myself. Like I've done these things myself. So I'm, I'm telling you as one who's been afraid to show up before, you know, like I don't want to go. I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, I've been with you, right, in that. But every time I've shown up and trusted God and what he's going to do, God does something that only he can do. And at the end of it all, I end up being the guy saying, wow. And people will go, man, it was so great that you asked. That was God, man. That was God. Like he glorified God. That wasn't me. He did that. And so talking this through, the practical stuff is to listen to people, to, 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 to um, kind of press back our tendency to want to run ahead and to really see what's going on. But then there's another one like it, and it's, and it's like this, linger, <laughs> linger, which is a funny thing. I've not heard many people talk about lingering in the Bible, right? And I actually did a word search for linger, and there wasn't very many like, actual lingerings in the Bible, but there's this mode of life that Jesus has. And, I, I want, and we've been talking about it for weeks now in the series, right? But he would... Um, eat a meal with somebody. I mean, just think about that. The son of God, the son of man, would show up and eat at your house. He would, the word says, recline at the table. Just think about that, right? You might say it this way. He would hang out. He would chill with you. And you go, what? Like, that, that, that's not ministry? I mean, that's not helping people, is it? I, I don't know, is it? To stick around long enough? There's this reality that many people face that whenever things are going bad, a bunch of people rush in, shoom, like this, right? And they're, and, they're, and they're usually frenetic. They're like, what can I do? What can I, I mean, we're all, you know, we, and we're freaked out because we're afraid for our friends and we're afraid for ourselves and what can we do? And we want to get in there, help and get out and go, whew, we did something, but not worry about it. But there is a, there's a, a, a thought to be had that, that we should sometimes stay, sometimes stick around. Sometimes as we're listening and watching what's happening, we just linger. We stay in the room whenever our work is done. This works like this sometimes. Um, I've had friends go through hard times and everyone's rushed in. Oh my gosh, it's a crisis, right? And it is. But man, three weeks later, we're on to the next three crises, right? Well, maybe in three weeks, you, you, you're, you're in their life again. You're like, hey, well, how are you doing with that? How are things going for you now? Because there's this really weird thing that happens where like, everybody's there and then nobody's there. And, and we have a call to be present, church, to linger in people's lives, to hang out. A couple of times that we saw Jesus lingering was he reclined at the table for meals, like I said. Another time that, um, the closest probably I got in Jesus' life of actual lingering is when he was hanging out in the temple and he watched the widow's offering. Like, he was watching people give money to the treasury at the temple. Like, and he watched enough people, he said, oh, look at that one. He was just hanging out. What's he doing? He's discerning what God is doing. He can see what God is doing in her life, right? That, that's what I'm looking for. That's the kingdom of God. And that only happens if he hangs around. I want to say something. We are so busy. Some of the things I've heard for this like stay-at-home thing is people go like, I haven't had this much free time on my hands in, in, in years, <laughs> right? It's crazy. Is that a good thing? Is it a good thing that we're so busy we can't just hang out with people? Is it a good thing we're so busy we can't just walk or we can't just listen? I think Jesus was an awesome lingerer, you know? And, and, and one of those things where I think if Jesus himself could hang out with people, not rushing to give answers, not trying to solve all the problems, not trying to heal the sick and just hang out, like could we? go, this is good. And then in God's divine timing, uh, things will be manifest for his glory. You, you know, I've heard a lot of times from folks, I'm just glad you were there. I'm glad you stayed. Didn't say nothing, didn't do nothing, just stayed. Maybe you had that experience too. Uh, one of my favorite uh, ver uh, not verses, one of my favorite sayings, by the way, on this is awkward is awesome. <laughs> awkward is awesome. And uh, 
that's just a funny thing because like you're like, I don't want to go. It's going to be awkward. And you just got to go, awkward is awesome. Go do it, right? But I also want to add an addendum and say, uh, no weirder than necessary. <laughs> so when you show up places, like you can be the weird one in the room and just face it. Like, I'm, I don't know. Like I'm telling you how many times I show up and I don't know anybody in the room. I'm just going to show up and see what God does. I'm just going to show up and watch and listen. I'm going to be awkward. It's going to be awkward. Awkward is awesome. But don't be weirder than you have to be. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, only be as weird as you need to be to stay in the room and hang out. And I'm being a little funny there, but you know, like we don't want to be weird. But just hanging out, being, and you'll be surprised what God will do. So here's the superhero powers to blast kids. Uh, listening, watching, and staying, right? The superhero doesn't leave until everything's taken care of, yeah? So now we're going to uh, move on here. What can we do then, right? So now that's all the things. And I know we're going to go, now wait, what, do now? Yeah, but we've waited. We discerned some things. We've watched some things. Now we have some opportunity to do some things that God has called us to do. And we see Jesus do these same things in his life as well. And so here's the first thing we can do is we can be prayerful in our lives, like prayerful. I first had in there, we can pray. And I, I said to you this morning in the invitation, we said you can invite people to pray for you, which is a really awesome thing to do. And we can definitely pray for others. But I want to talk about this morning being prayerful, right? Being um, filled with prayer. Uh, not a prayer, but someone who prays right? Not someone who uh, prays occasionally, but someone who is prayerful, always praying. And we're going to look at the book of First uh, Thessalonians. So if you can turn there if you want to, First Thessalonians chapter 5. And it's just a, a short verse. You've heard it before, but I want to talk about practical ways maybe we can do this um, together. So here's the word. This is um, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 18. Be joyful always. Pray continually. And give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So again, uh, be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I, I said to you the shortest verse of the Bible is Jesus wept. Well, here, here it is again in verse 17, pray continually. Another verse you can memorize, right? What, what's, what's first, or first Corinthians 5, 17? Pray continually. Uh, some translations might say it like this, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. And I want to kind of uh, talk to you this morning about what that can mean to pray without ceasing, right? Because some of us have a vision of prayer that goes like this. I have a certain time in a certain place, and I gather, and I maybe get on my knees, and I put my hands together, and I bow my head, and that's true. Like, that's one way that we can pray as God's people. There's nothing wrong with praying that way, right? Um, we don't do that a lot, honestly, probably as much as maybe some other um, uh, faith traditions do to actually, you know, get down on knees and pray, but there's something about the continual nature that goes, well, that's not practical. Continually pray like that? Like, how do you do that? So then you go, well, maybe I walk around my hands together. Well, no, that doesn't make sense either. Um, early in my Christian life, I actually looked into one way to pray continuously, and it was found in Eastern Orthodoxy. And there's this little short prayer they made up, and it goes like this. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's it. Then do it again. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And they would do this prayer. They would train themselves in this prayer until you do it a hundred times in a row, fluidly, out loud, using their vocals, right? Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then what they would do is they would pray that enough until they could pray a thousand times. And then as they prayed it a thousand times, they would start to just mimic the words but not say the words. And they had a real, and I'm not, I'm being totally serious about this. They were after Christ in such a way that they wanted to pray 24 hours a day while they're awake. And, you know, even into their sleep, sometimes they would go to sleep saying the prayer, wake up saying the prayer. But they would literally walk around and 
there was this kind of thing amongst the people who did it. They said you could tell who was really into it because their lips, their lips would barely be moving all the time, but trying to stop that too. Where I could be thinking the thought all the time, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner, but not moving my lips and being weird in public, right? It wasn't for a display. I'm convinced of that. It was for a heart. Lord Jesus Christ, he's first. Have mercy on me. I need your mercy. A sinner. I'm a sinner like everybody else. See, it's a prayer of humility. It's, a, it's a, where you can pray continually. But, and I did that for a while. Whenever I was working downtown stuff, I would, I would ride the train and I would say the prayer. I mean, I was serious. Like, you can try that. Maybe that's where you're at in your prayer life. You say, I want to try to pray continually. Well, try that. That's a biblical prayer, by the way. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. But then there's this other thing, this other way that we can be praying continually. And um, it's, it's this like three-way conversation. That's what I call it. I've told you about it before. But that's where when you and I have an interaction and I get an awareness as a spiritual matter, which all matters are spiritual, I can in that moment recognize there's a third person in the room and that's God himself. Like on the fly, you can ask God to let you know, remind you that he is not absent from this moment. And, and the more heated, the more passionate the moment, the more difficult it is to recognize that, but that's the truth. And all of a sudden, when we recognize that he's in the room, there's a three-way conversation, we can discern what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. We can hear his voice in that moment. And so that's more praying for presence. Now, I can't say I do that very well all the time, but I do it when I meet with people on purpose. I do it whenever I'm called into a situation I'm afraid. I'm not sure what it's going to look like. I'm just going to show up and keep my mouth shut and listen and see what happens. I spend that whole time just talking to the Lord about it. God, what are you doing here? Oh, what's that? Oh, I'm worried about this, right? And we can do the same. I want that to be a real equipping for you, that you know that there's nothing that you experience that is apart from God's presence, and there's no experience you have where God is present. You can't talk to him about it. Here's the thing. Here's another way. If people invite you, I said earlier, sometimes I show up and people say, oh, finally you're here, we can pray. Yeah, if people invite you to pray, pray. I don't know what to say. Praise God. Close your eyes. You know, take hands if you're allowed to, right? And, and, and begin to pray. Just speak to God about what he has on your heart, about what he's revealed to you as you've been watching and listening and lingering. When others desire for us to pray, we can pray. Truth matter is, though, church, we can pray when people don't desire prayer, right? I told you all the story, but one time somebody said, don't pray for me, and that was my clue. I gotta pray for you. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. That's a great strategy. I need to pray for you. And then third, and probably the way we most often think of prayer, so the first is to pray continually. The second is to pray when we're invited or, or the people want our prayer. But the third is to pray later. And that's what most of us do automatically. I'll be praying for you. And then later we do. We go in our prayer closet, we pray. We have our journal, we pray. We do, the, we, we do pray for people. It's, it's a sincere thing, right? But I don't want you to miss the first two, in the moment and also uh, um, when we're invited or they desire prayer in the moment. And so we can be prayerful. The goal is to pray more and more, right? That that's one of our actions that God has equipped us with, that he is with us in these moments, and we can be prayerful, all right? And then here's the other action then. So you're prayerful, and the next is you're helpful, right? And in the same way that you, you know, I, I first had the help, you can help. I first had serve, you can serve, a very churchy word. But the truth is that we can be helpful. We can be filled with help. I'm gonna turn um, to the gospel of Mark. You don't have to, you can if you want to. Oops, I just lost my place there. Um, but Mark chapter 10, just a couple of verses, you, you've heard these before. This is where Jesus says, the Son of Man didn't come to serve, but to be served and to give his life as a ransom for many. But I want you to hear um, a little bit in context. So chapter 10, verse 43 through 45, this is what the word says. Um, not so with you. Uh, what not so with us? 
that we shouldn't be lording, lording things over one another. We shouldn't be desiring the high positions of power, right? Not so with you, disciples, Jesus said. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant or your slave, right? And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all or servant of all. So if you want to be the head of Jesus' class, you got to be the, the bottom of, of the class roster, right? You want to be the first person that's honoring to him, you got to be willing to be the last person in everyone else's eyes. This whole idea, it's a superpower that we can be helpful to others. Then verse 45, he says this, because even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so we have Jesus' own model. Like if anyone had a right to say, I'm not going to serve people, I'm going to do my own thing, it would be Jesus. And he doesn't. He takes the position of a lowly servant. And this whole idea of being present, I'm going to tie it in here at the end, that, that it's all about his showing up in person. This is his gift to us, that Jesus shows up in the flesh and helps, that he is there to be helpful to us. The Son of Man did not come to serve, but to, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life, his very life, as a ransom for many. I'm going to turn now to the Gospel of John. We're going to finish in John here this morning. John chapter 13. You don't have to turn there, but you can. I'm just going to read a few verses here. Uh, let's see, in John 13, yeah, 35, 34 and 35, um, this is Jesus saying, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love each other. And so Jesus himself, he's like, you want to know how people know you belong to me? Because you love people. You, you show up and you do help. You do help people in their moment of need. Um, this is on the heels of Jesus washing the disciples' feet that Jay-Z talked about a few weeks ago, right? That, that he humbled himself and he washed the feet of his servants and he said, you'll be blessed if you do that. And then here he doubles down on it and he gives this command. He says, you're going to be blessed if you serve others. I'm gonna, you're going to be known as my disciples if you love each other. It's a new command I'm giving to you to love one another. I'm going away, but your call is to love one another as I have loved you. And that means that we look at Jesus's model and we say, what does he say? No servant is above his master nor a disciple above his teacher, right? That he gives us the model of humility, of help, of service, of nothing beneath us, nothing that's too far but down that we wouldn't be willing to stoop ourselves. We have the opportunity I know for many people, they think, well, that's not much of a superpower, is it? But if, if, you, if you have a human heart like I do, it is a superpower. <laughs> that you would not do it with that tendency to say, that's beneath me, I'm not doing that. And you'd be reminded in the moment that he has given us his spirit of humility. And so if you're doing your blast sheets, here's your blast superhero actions, kids. It's praying and helping. But only after we've listened and watched, right? Then we can pray and help. And now the last one is who? Who did Jesus intend to do these things? And I think the obvious. It's you. It's me. It's us. I want you to turn with me in John chapter 17. John 17, 13 through 21. This is Jesus praying for the disciples, praying for his disciples, right? John 13. There, there would be a tendency and it would be wrong to believe that all this was some accident by Jesus, that his coming in the flesh was an accident, you know, being word made flesh, that his walking amongst the disciples and healing certain people was an accident, that his, that his teaching ministry was an accident, and then now all of a sudden that his passing on of this ministry is an accident. But look at his intentions in chapter 17, verse 13. He's talking to the Father, and he says this, I am coming to you now, 
But I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world any more than I am of this world. My prayer is not that you would take them out of this world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world even as I am not of it. Now verse 17, sanctify them by the truth and your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified. Listen, that's the whole, sanctification is like a big churchy word. It means be made holy. And he's like, I am holy and they're holy. And like you sent me in the world, Father, I'm gonna send them in the world. And he says this as a prayer to the Father. He's not, he's just saying this to the Father. He's like, I'm gonna send them into the world and I'm gonna sanctify them like I've been sanctified and they're gonna be empowered by you to do your work in the world. And I want you to understand the gravity of what he's saying, right? This isn't like, a happenstance. This isn't like a plan B for Jesus. This is like his plan A. I'm going to come, I'm going to reveal myself to my people, and then I'm going to send them into the world, and they're going to be made holy, sanctified, exactly in the same way that I myself am sanctified. Look at verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for all those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. He has given us the glory that God the Father gave him, that we might be united in mission. Verse 23, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and you have loved them even as you have loved me. I got, that's such good news for me, church, to hear because it means that we are part of what God is doing all over the world. And it is not all up to you or me to do all of it, but we are all invited to do our part of it, right? So we don't compete with other churches because we are part of the same gospel proclamation that they're part of. If they're claiming Christ is Lord, if they're submitted unto his will, we're all on the same team. But isn't that amazing that you and I are sent to be present in Jesus' place. Like, that almost seems radical. That seems totally radical to me. Like, I'm like, you're God. You show up. And he's like, no, I'm sending you, church. I'm sending you, my children. And look at what it said there. I'm sending you who are only now believing the gospel. That means the minute someone believes the gospel, they repent and believe and they confess Jesus as Lord, they're on the team, they're on the field, and they're being sent out to be part of his work in the world. What a powerful and amazing text that compels us into, into the world, that they may know that Jesus was sent by God the Father and that we are loved even as God loves Jesus. Whew. Verse 24, Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given to me because that you have loved me before the creation of the world. Remember, he, you know, all things were made through him in John 1. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. Now, I asked the blast kids to draw a picture of you. The who? It's you, right? So draw a picture of yourself. But it's not you alone. And church, it's not us alone. I don't know if you remember that whenever um, I brought these uh, glasses today. I was a kid of the 70s, right? And there was a show on TV, and he, it, was, it was Clark Kent. I was going to say it was Clark Kent, right? And, uh, and then he would uh, take off his glasses, 
you know? And then he would unbutton his shirt, which I'm going to spare you that. But whenever he would pull his shirt open, right, he'd have a big ass on his chest, you know, because I'm a superhero. And that's what's amazing to me is that when we do these things, we aren't doing these things of ourselves. It's because he is in us. I hope you heard that in 24, that I myself may be in them, in them, not with them, but in them, that the God himself, through Jesus Christ, is in us. And I'm going to say it now, spoiler, through the Holy Spirit, he's in us, Right? He's in us. Matter of fact, let's go ahead and just turn there now. Verse, uh, chapter 20 of the Gospel of John. This is our last stop. John chapter 20 says this. Uh, ver- chapter 20, verse 9. Wait, wait. 19. Woo-hoo. Bible trying to trick me again. Here we go. John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. I want to stop a minute. Isn't that interesting? That on the evening of the first day, when the disciples were all huddled together with the doors locked because they were afraid. Like, that sounds pretty familiar right now, right? Everyone's huddled in their house. Jesus came and stood amongst them there and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and his disciples were overjoyed when they realized it was the Lord. 21, again Jesus said, peace be with you. Here it is again, church. As the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. And he breathed on them and said, receive my Holy Spirit. I told you that's where it's at. And if you forgive anyone their sins, they will be forgiven. And if you do not forgive their sins, they will not be forgiven. And so in this moment, he gives us his divine presence, his Holy Spirit. And he says, you're going to have the freedom to bind and loose sins in the world, which, you know, that's a whole other thing we're not going to talk about this morning. But what does that mean? That he's sending us out to bind and loose sins. But I know what it means for sure is that he breathes on us. His Holy Spirit dwells in us. And when we show up, it's not us being present, but it's the presence of God in us being present to one another. I don't know if you've ever had someone minister to you with the presence of God. I have had it happen many times. Ordinary people show up in extraordinary ways. I, I, I'm not saying that as like some, you know, kind of like, oh, that was a blessing. No, like God's power in people because they were present in my life, speaking his word using his authority, proclaiming his truth and his kingdom over my life. It's Jesus in us. I thought it was interesting, um, you know, what does it mean when it says the word became flesh in John chapter one? What does that mean, the word became flesh? And, um, you, you know, after he, um, he, he becomes flesh and makes his dwelling among us, and John the Baptist baptizes him, and the word says that after he is baptized, he goes out in the desert for 40 days. I thought this was interesting because I found this week that the word quarantine actually means 40 days that there was a period of waiting for Jesus after he was baptized and before his ministry began. I know some of us are frustrated right now. We're like, man, I'm sick of being home. I'm sick of being home. I'm gonna go out there and all the good I could do, all the things I could do. And some of you have been doing some of it, but most of us have been restrained. Go to work, go home. Go to grocery store, go home. Stay indoors. Don't, you know, don't contaminate people. Stay safe. And we're supposed to submit to authorities. Fair enough, right? We're gonna honor God by submitting to authorities. But here's the thing. Do you feel the energy being pent up? Do you feel that waiting? See, I'm wondering, 40 days in quarantine. I'm wondering, 40 days in the desert. I'm wondering if God is restraining his church, now listen to me, so he can let us go. You know? I wonder if he has us locked up and cooped up and frustrated and, and, and feeling the gospel more than ever and, and seeing friends who have no hope and being able to proclaim hope to them that we know Jesus and that, that if your hope is not to get sick and die, you're, you're hopeless because you're gonna get sick and die eventually. But if you know Christ, you will live. You will be raised to new life. That, that's the resurrection story we just heard and he breathed them after his resurrection. If, if, if you know that gospel, if right now you're just straining at the bit. You're like, I wanna go tell people. I wanna go serve people. I wanna go help people. I'm gonna go show up in their lives. I hope that that's what's happening in our 
moment that whenever we are released, we can be released. If nothing else, church, I hope that this time has given us a chance to reflect on what really matters in life. What are we really doing here? What is God calling us to do? Well, here's my closing questions. Who needs you to show up in their life right now? You know, you're like, well, I'm locked in my house, right? There's a thousand ways to show up, you know? You can show up via a text message. You can show up via a FaceTime call. You can show up via a voice call, right? You can show up to a door, leave something, ring the bell, and run away. <laughs> That's a fun game. You can show up in prayer. How, how, who needs you to show up? And let me say this. Maybe you need somebody to show up this morning for you. Maybe you're like, man, I've talked to a bunch of you, and you're like, I'm scared. I don't know what the world's coming to. I've been alone for 14 days or 21 days. Some of you have been alone for almost a month already. And I think about our seniors living in facilities. They can't even get family visits anymore. Who can, who, do you need somebody to show up? If so, I'm going to pray that God shows up and that somehow someone shows up in your life, that we can connect in some way while still honoring those who are in authority right now. And then one other thing I want to say is, how many of us need to keep showing up? Like, we're just tired of it. We, we showed up a bunch of times to this person, and it's, it's not working. Maybe this is your call. Maybe if you linger. Maybe if you listen. Maybe if you pray. Maybe then we can help. See, this is the wild thing about John 1, uh, in the Gospel of John in, in general. As a matter of fact, it's also found in the first and second, le second letters of John. His showing up in the flesh is the message. That, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son is in John 3. But in John 1, it says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And then it says this, that um, his own rejected him. And then anyone who believed, he gave the word says right, the privilege to become children of God. That, that Jesus loved us so much, he left his heavenly throne to come on earth that we could know him and believe in him. And then he came to give his life on a cross to die for the sins of the whole world. And yes, that includes you, that includes me, that we don't deserve it, he gives it freely, that we can be born again, born of God, free of sin, forgiven, able to confess and repent, able to believe good news. And then that question that's always asked right in our minds, is this life all there is? Gets a resounding answer of no, this is not all there is. So if that's you today and you don't know that, I'm gonna invite you to pray with me. Not that this prayer is magic, but God is able to save. And this is why he sent his son into the world to be present with us. Pray with me if you would. Father, we thank you so much for this morning and a chance to see your incarnated beauty. I thank you, Father, for the way that you've manifest your glory through your scriptures and your accounts. I thank you so much, Father, that you have made yourself known to us. And then, Father, maybe there's, there, there are those this morning that say, I've never believed this for myself. I've heard about this Jesus, and I got friends who believe in Jesus. Maybe family believe in Jesus, but ah, I don't believe Jesus myself. Today, Father, would you help them to pray that prayer? And I'm gonna say to you, if you're out there and, and you have never talked to God like this, I'm gonna invite you to talk with me. There's no magic to this, by the way. These aren't magic words, but I just want you to, I give you something to say if you wanna say it to God right now. You can say this. You can say, Jesus, um, I've messed up. My life is not perfect. And I've offended other people and I've offended you. I ask, Lord, that you would forgive me of my sins. I don't wanna do it anymore. I wanna leave that life behind. And I want you to help me live a new life. Father, would you do that? through the power of Jesus' name for us? Would you call us to know you? And Lord, would you set us free from the fear of sin and death? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.